Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. And Sarah Payette is coming to read those verses. In honor of God's word, I invite you to stand. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, if you've been around for the last couple Sundays, uh, you, you know we've been in a series, just a little kind of a short uh, three-week series, um, kind of visiting the, the vision of, of Sojourn. And um, it, it, it's, uh, we're, in a, we're in a special special time, a unique time for us as a church. We, we are in, in, in somewhat of a, of a transition um, the last couple years, uh, with, with, uh, especially with COVID, uh, has been disruptive for churches all over the place. Uh, we're, we're not necessarily very unique in that regard. Um, our disruption increased a little bit, uh, quite a bit, over these last five or six months as we've had some staff uh, transitions. Um, but, but every single week, uh, we are having conversations and, and we are working to, to, to organize uh, the, the ministry here, to, to plan uh, for the next chapter at, at Sojourn. Uh, and there are, uh, there's a number of things that I think it's right for, for me personally and for us as a church to be excited about as we think about this next chapter. Uh, and we are, we're going to be talking about those things a little bit today, but m- mostly um, in, in the future. We want to fa- faithfully follow Jesus, and we want to help other people follow him too. So we, want, we want that to be the heartbeat, the heartbeat of our church. Uh, so over these weeks, a couple weeks ago, um, we, we started off by, by looking at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just using it a, a little bit as a, as a springboard, um, and, and, and looking at what Paul seems to be calling us to, 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 to follow Jesus with our whole lives. Uh, but in, in verse 11, which is kind of the start of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that little text that we've been looking at, in verse 11, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord. And then he goes on to talk about this life that's given completely to Christ. In week one, uh, I tried to spend some time. What what does this phrase mean? What does knowing the fear of the Lord mean? And and I suggested that it's Paul kind of using a phrase to indicate the fact that he had had a personal encounter with God. And the nature of that encounter, whether it was progressive over the course of months or years, or whether that was instantaneous, where for Paul it was, where he, uh, a bright light met him on a, on a road and he found out that it was the risen Christ. Uh, and so his was instantaneous. Some, some are progressive. The, 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 the nature of the encounter is not the point. The point is, have you had a personal encounter with God? And you say, well, how, how do I know? Well, one of the ways that I suggested that you might be able to tell 
is this idea of the fear of the Lord that's associated with God's glory. And God's glory, the word glory means weighty or it means heavy. And so one way that you might be able to discern whether or not God is just an idea for you or whether or not God is a reality, whether you've had a personal encounter with God, one way might be who moves who around. Do you move God around and make him fit into your wants and your desires? Or does God move you around and adjust your agenda and your priorities and reveal to you his design for this life? Who moves who around? Have you had a personal encounter with God that has revealed to you his glory and his goodness? That was week one. Second week, uh, I said maybe it's a way, maybe you could think about if we were talking about a personal encounter, then week two was like looking outside and saying, what's, what's our current cultural moment? What, what's going on uh, in the world? And uh, if, if you want to explore that, that, that sermon is available online and, and you can go listen to it. Uh, but, but generally speaking, you know, my invitation there was to recognize that, there, that things change. That the world does not stay the same. And the world that we're living in right now has some dynamics at play that might not have been true a few decades ago. And, and as, as the sermon unfolded, maybe you could say that the primary invitation was to actually be willing, just like Jesus in John chapter 1, uh, the way we get introduced to Jesus is Jesus seeing these two disciples, seeing these two followers, and Jesus' first words in John's gospel is turning to those followers and saying, what do you desire? What do you seek? What, what, are, what are you after? What do you want? And it's a very subjective way of interacting with his followers. Jesus doesn't start with a declaration of who he is. He doesn't start with a declaration of their sinfulness. He doesn't start with a declaration of their need for faith. He starts with a very subjective question. What, what do you want? What are you seeking? What do you desire? And maybe there's an invitation for us to recognize that uh, among many of the cultural shifts that have happened, th th this is one that, that, that actually our, our faith and our understanding of the way that God's at work in the world and in us very much uh, offers us the opportunity to look at the people in our life and actually care enough to ask the question, what, what, what do you want? What, what are you seeking? What do you desire? What, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are the things you're facing in your life? And, and th that does not mean for a single second that we don't have objective truths about the gospel of Jesus. That there aren't things that, that actually describe this message that God has, has offered to humanity. There, 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 is, there are statements of truth. There are truth claims that we want our neighbor and ourselves to understand and to hold on to. But it might be that in our current cultural moment, starting with listening, starting with asking good questions, starting with wading into the lives of the people around us, um, you might find it to be uh, quite, offer quite a bit of traction in regard to learning how to love other people. Well, today, uh, I want to ask the question, first, if, the, if week one was, have you had a personal encounter with God? And week two is, what's the world we're living in right now? Uh, this week, I want to talk a little bit about like, how is Sojourn going to try to navigate it? Uh, maybe you could say this is a little bit of, a, uh, of an invitation into where we're at in thinking about our, our strategy uh, for uh, uh, us as a church in the, in the season that sits in front of us. 
So there's, there's more, uh, I didn't even use numbers this week, so there's, there's, there's more slides than normal. So uh, just, just uh, take notes however you want to, um, but we're going to move through this and use 2 Corinthians 5 in some ways as a, as a springboard for this conversation. Um, so the situation, in, 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 it, when Paul comes to this text in 2 Corinthians 5, he, he's writing to a church that he's had multiple letters with, uh, written, that he's written to. Um, so in, in the New Testament, we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But based on the way that Paul writes those letters, we have really good reason to believe that there were two other letters that Paul had written to this church. So there may have been a bunch. We don't know, but there probably is four. Two of them uh, were uh, considered inspired and included in our Bible. But Paul has had a relationship with this church. He's written to them often. And if you've read 1 Corinthians, you you might know, like, this church is a train wreck. The church in Corinth is a mess. They've got all kinds of problems. And so here we are in what we call 2 Corinthians, the the second letter to this church that's included in the New Testament. And Paul is writing to them, and he actually has some encouraging things to say to them. He wants to remind them and invite them into what it is to walk with Jesus. And so uh, as we we read verses 14 through through 21, but as you come to verse 17, this is what he says to this group of people that like they're a mess. They're a mess. It's like two steps forward, two steps back. It's, it, 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 they, have, they have a lot of challenges. And this is what he says, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so Paul just point blank says, if, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. The world's not the same for you anymore. Your heart's been changed. Your life's been changed. Your perspective on things is changed. Your priorities have changed. Like, everything has changed. The old has passed away and the new has come. That Jesus is at work in your life in these kinds of ways if you're in Christ, if you have put your faith in Christ. A few verses later, he says, We are now his ambassadors. And he uses this term, ambassador. And that's a term that we still use today. Um, and, you know, the United States of America sends ambassadors all over the world. We have ambassadors in a whole bunch of countries. Uh, and uh, this concept of being an ambassador has been around for a really long time. And so while we don't have kings uh, in, in the United States of America, an ambassador is sent to a foreign country and they dwell, they, they live in a foreign place. They live on foreign land. And yet their responsibility is to be the voice of their king, of another. And so they're there. They're a human being. They have thoughts. They have priorities. They have an agenda. But the ambassador is living on foreign land, speaking on behalf of their king. And Paul says, hey, hey, hey followers of Jesus, guess what you are? You're ambassadors. You're in a foreign land. You, you, this, this earth is not home, not yet. It's not the way it should be. It's scarred by sin. It's, it's damaged. It's mangled up. It's distorted. But you're here. You're, you're on a journey here. You're on a foreign land. And you now speak on the behalf of another. You speak on behalf of King Jesus. It's not your agenda. It's not your priorities anymore. Now, Jesus' agenda and Jesus' priorities, they are for our good, and they are for the good of the world. So we can, we can celebrate that. 
But the call that Paul puts in front of us is that we actually live a life formed by Jesus. It's not our agenda anymore. It's not our priorities anymore. We, 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 now, we now live and speak on the behalf uh, of another. A life formed by Jesus, fully formed by Jesus, where I think about what I say and I think about what I do in light of the king who has, who has put me here, the king uh, that I serve. Well, that, that might sound great, but is that actually happening? Is it happening with you? Is it happening with me? Is that, is that the hallmark of Sojourn Church? Is it, is it showing up? Uh, we leave here in, you know, just in less than an hour. Does it show up over the course of the rest of your Sunday and Monday and throughout your week? Is, is this the way that someone would describe you? Is it the way that someone would describe me as an ambassador of King Jesus? That the way that I live my life isn't about my agenda. It's, 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 it's about his agenda. It's about his priorities. Is it true? Is it happening? Well, how could it? What, what might it look like? What are ways that we could help each other? How can we actually live as new creations, as ambassadors in real life in the year 2022 in Traverse City, Michigan? Well, there's an author named Richard Lovelace, and he's written several books, but his, his like, most classic work is called Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And it's a pretty, pretty thick book. And uh, our church has uh, been part of a network for a number of years now, and this book has served our network. It's, it's, been a, it's been a source of a lot of the thinking and priorities and values that our network uh, holds. And Richard Lovelace, uh, Lovelace offers like a paradigm for spiritual renewal. I mean, the book is called Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And what he does throughout this book is he explores what is spiritual renewal? How has it unfolded? How has it happened over the course of history? How did it happen in the New Testament? And he offers some ways in which we can take all of that content, all of that data, all of the, uh, the experiences that have occurred and try to boil it down and say, what does it look like to actually have spiritual renewal? Now, that book was published in 1979. And so it's been around for a while, and yet uh, the content is, is quite, uh, quite powerful. And so here, here's what he offers. He offers, uh, three, maybe you'd say, three categories. And, and the first category is what he calls preconditions for spiritual renewal. Preconditions. And he says, here are the preconditions that you, you, you've got to have in place if, if you're going to see renewal in your church. And the two things are these. Awareness of God's holiness and awareness of sin's destruction. That, that, that's a precondition. That there's got to be a, 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 a corporate understanding, a, a corporate grasp of God's holiness, meaning his, his justice and his love. You know, when we talk about holiness, that word means distinct. It means other. It actually is related to the idea of, of, a, like of a butcher who would take a cleaver and cut a piece of meat and cut the fat away from the meat. And he takes the cleaver and he cuts it and the meat's over here and the fat's over there. And it is separated. And that, like, that's the idea of holiness. That God is distinct. That God is other. That God is apart. Are we aware of the holiness of God? And the second one is of sin's destruction. So you could say the distinction of God and the distortion of sin. Are we aware of the depths to which sin has mangled things up? In you? 
and in the world in which we live? Are we aware of the damage, of the pervasiveness of it? You know, one of my favorite phrases, I use it a lot, is, is the, um, the, the vandalism of shalom. That what happened in Genesis 3 is that sin showed up and it mangled up God's good world. And we have been experiencing the consequences of that ever since. And Richard Lovelace says, if, if, you're, if, if, you're, if your spiritual community doesn't have a hold on those two things, that the grandness, the greatness, the glory, the holiness of God, and the serious destruction that sin has brought in the world, if, if you don't have those two things, then you don't have the preconditions. You, you don't have the right, in a sense, the right soil uh, to see renewal happen. Secondly, he points to what he calls primary elements. And you might just say these are gospel truths. And maybe you could think about these as, as like the ingredients that we, that we use to cook with at Sojourn or the materials that we use to build with. And you heard Dave say this morning, gospel representation. When we gather on Sundays, we call our services gospel representation. We want to rehearse the gospel again. And we believe that the gospel is way bigger and way grander than most of us think it is. And we actually think that the gospel is so good that we can hold that gospel up and week after week after week just spin it around and, and let, let the rays of light shine through it in all kinds of different angles and let us understand it in a deeper and richer way. Gospel representation. Sometimes we refer to our church as a, a gospel-centered church. You know, what, what we mean by that is that the gospel becomes the primary lens through which we see God, through which we see the world, through which we see ourselves, our neighbor, our work, everything. Uh, earlier in 2021, we did a, a, a short sermon series called The Gospel Changes Everything. And the objective of that series was to walk through and say, any subject you hold up, the gospel has something to say about that. And that, that's what we want to be about as a church. But you might say, okay, the gospel is that Jesus saves, but is that it? Well, no, that's not it. No, there's, there's, there's incredible richness and doctrine and, and, and all kinds of different angles uh, that are at play in this gospel. Rich Love, uh, Richard Lovelace points to four. And he says, here are, are four components of the gospel that are the primary elements of spiritual renewal for a, for a, for a spiritual community. And here are the four that he points to. Justification, that you are accepted. You know, to be justified means to be declared right. And that word right doesn't just mean morally right, is this right or wrong. It also means right relationally, like that we're good. And what Richard Lovelace says is, is your spiritual family needs to grasp with both hands the beauty and the significance of justification, that you can be accepted, that you can be declared right, that you can have the smile of God upon you, not by anything that you did, but because Christ did it on your behalf. When you come to him, you are justified. Secondly, he points to sanctification. Sanctification is this movement towards holiness. It's this, it's this promise. It's this guarantee you heard it in our liturgy this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Degree by degree, little by little, we're being made into the image of Jesus. And this doctrine of sanctification, which is essential in the gospel, says you can actually change. You're freed. Sanctification is the message that God is at work in you, in you to make you more like Jesus. 
So justification says nothing that you did ever could earn it. You're accepted. But sanctification is this promise that God's at work in you to not leave you as you were. To actually grow you into the image of Jesus. And you, you, have, you have agency. You're freed to change. You're freed to grow. And you're actually, you can be confident that that's what God's doing in you. It's good news. Third, he points to the indwelling spirit. You are not alone. Usually during the season of Advent, at some point in time, we'll point out that the Gospel of Matthew starts with the declaration that his name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And it ends with this promise that he's never going to leave. And then we find out, how is it that Jesus is never going to leave? Well, he's going to send his spirit. And his spirit is going to dwell in his people in a unique way, in a way that's never happened in the history of the world. And for the last 2,000 years, since Pentecost Sunday, the Spirit has been at work in the people of God in a unique way. And the message of the gospel is that you are not alone, that the Spirit of God is ever-present with you, that the resources that you've been given in the gospel are greater than you know. You are never alone. Paul, in one of his letters, says, there's no temptation taken you that you cannot handle. Why? Because you're not alone. The Spirit is at work in you present with you. And then fourth, he says a spiritual authority that you can say no, that you can turn from sin. This has some relationship to the second one, but the idea of of agency, that you're not a sitting duck, that you're not just a victim of your circumstances, that you're not a victim of your addictions or your habits. You, you, You can say no You can say no to sin. You can say no to Satan. You know what else you can do? You can say no to yourself. You want to know the the, the most significant element of freedom in the whole world? Is being able to say no to you. And if you can say no to yourself, the sky's the limit. And in the gospel, you are given this, this, this spiritual authority. So Richard Lovelace points to those four gospel truths and says they're essential elements, primary elements for for, for renewal in a church. And then he talks about secondary elements. And in a lot of ways, today's sermon is talking about secondary elements, the outworking of these these truths. If, If these ingredients are at play in this spiritual family, then what does it look like on the street? How does it show up out there? And it's it's necessary. It needs to show up. All of this reality of who Christ is and what he's done in us and what he's doing in the world, it needs to show up. Our hands and our feet need to be active in the kingdom of God. Richard Lovelace points to these outworkings, these secondary elements. He says mission, and by mission he means both proclamation and social demonstration. He points to prayer, both private and corporate. He points to community, what he calls both micro and macro. He points to theological integration, meaning that we're lifelong students, that there's an an effort to, to, to learn the Bible, to understand who God is, to learn about ourselves, to know the world, that we're that we're we're learning and integrating who God is with what we're experiencing in life. And then the fifth one is disenculturation. Now, we'll get back to this list in a minute, but in my mind, one of these is not like the others. 
And it is the last one, disenculturation. And I want to touch on it, not because it's the main point of the sermon, but because I just think it's important. And so what, is, what does Richard Lovelace mean by disenculturation? Well, he breaks it into two parts. And so the word, you know, the, the prefix there, dis, it means we, we're going to stop doing this. But he talks about it this way, protective enculturation. And by protective enculturation, he's talking about religious activity. He's talking about what you might think of as legalism, as these efforts to try, to try to put up the walls and keep the world out. Come up with all your own rules, all these prohibitions, all of these things to make sure the world doesn't get in here. Got to keep the world out there. Got to keep, keep the walls high. Got to keep the guards alert. We got, got, to, got to keep the world out. He calls that protective enculturation. And then he, his second category is destructive enculturation. And this would be in the category of worldliness, what we might think of as worldliness or license. And that is being saturated by the atmosphere of the culture around us. In other words, not even thinking about it. Letting the current cultural moment own us. Just absorbing all of the values that the world just has. Not even not evaluating it at all. The stuff we watch and the stuff we read and the friends we have, not evaluating any of those sources and just absorbing it and allowing ourselves to be molded into the current cultural moment. And Lovelace, he says um, that like, both of these are examples of, of uh, neither of them work. He says they're both actually examples of what we might call worldliness. He says we're trying to solve the problem with worldly approaches. In, in the one case, the first one, protective enculturation, we're trying to create all these extra rules on top of Jesus' rules in order to be safe. And we think if we make enough rules and follow the rules, then everybody will be good. And there's some, I mean, there's such good motivation in some of that. And the reason I know is because I grew up around it. I grew up around it. And I know some of the people's hearts in that circle, their intentions are so good you know, the, the general idea is if that fire is going to burn you, then let's set a fence up out here so you don't get close to the fire. Well, what if you jump over that fence? So we better set up another fence a little further out so that if you jump the first fence, well, that's not good, but at least there's the second fence. And before long, you end up with, you can't go to the movie theater to watch a movie. You can't wear jeans. You can't play cards. It's a sin to sip alcohol. See, that's the first category of this sense of saying, if we make enough rules, then we'll be good. Then we'll find life with God. Then we'll obey. And Richard Lovelace says, no, that's still pasting it on from the outside. That's still just creating a way to stop you, but it's not changing you. And then the second category doesn't work either. The second category is just mindless. It's not even caring about the fact that what God has to say about your life is often in contradiction with the world in which we live. We, we got to be processing what we're drinking. We got to be processing what we're breathing in our current cultural moment. It doesn't mean that you can't watch certain movies. It just means what's the lens by which you're watching the movie? How, how are you processing that? How are you understanding what in this movie is telling you a lie about the world? And what in this movie is telling you the truth? Richard Lovelace says that uh, one man's piety is often another man's poison. 
And I found that to be helpful. It's like, what, you know, it, 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 it's, it's an invitation to realize that we don't all function the same way. And can you imagine how many rules you'd have to make to try to protect everybody? To try to cover everybody's pitfalls? Neither, neither of these work. Richard Lovelace says, many of our people in, in our churches are severely enculturated because their relationship to Christ is so insecure that they are not free to cut loose from cultural support. You see, see, his point is, his point is this. We are unsure of our, of our, of our relationship with Jesus. And so we've got to look to some sort of external system to prop us up. And as long as there's a lack of security in that relationship with God, you're going to be turning outside and having other people prop you up. I, I, I need other people. He says cultural support. We're not, free, we're not able to cut loose of that. And so what we are a victim of is whatever circle we grew up in, whatever environment we are in. You see, this is how it all dovetails. Another way you could say it is this. If our truest sense of identity is not rooted in Christ, then we are simply too fragile to critique our communities, whether our spiritual community or our secular community. What's happening in our church or what's happening in our community. So think about this. What if we were free to critique our Christian communities? Our faults and our failures. And we were able to genuinely critique them without falling apart, without getting defensive, without getting all worked up. What if we were so rooted in those gospel truths that because of Christ, we have been accepted? Because of Christ, we are free to grow and change? Because of Christ, we have the indwelling spirit of God in us? Because of Christ, we have spiritual authority to say no? What, what if those things were so rooted in us that we could actually look at our spiritual family and admit our failures and our faults? What if we were free to critique our current culture and to critique our current culture's engagement with money or the way that our current culture engages with, with sex or the way that our current culture engages with race or the way that our current culture engages with gender without falling apart, without getting defensive? What if we could evaluate those things and actually look at them and recognize that there, there, are, there are some instincts in the way that our world is handling those, those subjects that, that are good, that, that are helpful. There, there's, there's good instincts there. But there's other ways in which they're severely distorted. And, and they're actually harming sometimes the very people they're trying to help. What if we were free to hear critiques of our own selves? So that when you actually sit down with someone else that you have wronged, you can hear their critique of you without getting defensive, without falling apart. What, what if the gospel really can produce genuine humility and genuine confidence at the exact same time? You know, not all critiques are good. But there might be a nugget in there, something that we need to hear as a church or something that our culture needs to hear, or something that you need to hear. Not, not all critiques are perfect, but man, what if you had the humility and the confidence to receive them? That's what, that's what the gospel wants to produce in us, is a robustness, a, a sturdiness, a strength, so that we can actually step away from quote-unquote cultural support and be honest. That, that's where growth's going to happen. 
And that's what Richard Lovelace is inviting us into. It's compelling. Well, that wasn't the sermon. So um, we, here's what here's we've got to get to. How could this, how, so that's, that's, that's dis, uh, disenculturation. But how, how could this look at, at Sojourn? I want to go back to the other things in Richard Lovelace's categories. He said mission, prayer, community, theological integration. And he said disenculturation, which I think is very, very important. Um, but mission, prayer, community, and theological integration. Uh, if you've been around here long enough, you know that we often, our, our church logo has a thumbprint in it. And we often talk about identity. And we talk about our identity in Christ in, 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 as five identities. Worshiper, learner, family, missionary, servant. So if you think about Richard Lovelace's list, you think about uh, our five identities, I, I love them all, and I want to keep them, but I want to rework the list a little bit, and I want to think of them as three pathways. And, and so this is just an invitation to, to, to maybe kind of how we're thinking about the future. And, and those, those pathways could be, the three could be these, gospel, community, and action. Gospel, community, and action. So gospel. Gospel would be where we would carry the primary identities of worshiper and learner. And the primary activities or the primary offerings here would be things like worship gatherings, what we're doing right now, which is essential uh, to what we do as a church and to our growth as God's people, and prayer. And there'll be more on this category of prayer. I mean, it's, it, this is, uh, the category of prayer historically is a lot broader than most of us think. And next Sunday, we're going to be talking about prayer. But, um, so uh, worship gatherings and prayer. Um, community. Uh, the primary identity here would be the identity of, of family. And the, the primary offerings would be community groups and parties. And we think these are, are important ways that we build the bonds of community and of, of, of family. Uh, maybe you remember this phrase. We've used it a few times. But we want to be, we want to be grapes. Uh, we want to be like a cluster of grapes, not a bag of marbles. You know, a bag of marbles is just held together because they're in a bag. But a cluster of grapes is held together because there's something organic. There's something richer. There's roots. There's connections that hold the grapes together. And as a church family, we don't want to just be a bag of marbles. Like, we're here because of 1027 McCray Hill Road. We're here because of this building. We, 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 we believe that what God's doing in his people is a much richer connection than a bag of marbles. But look, being a family is hard. Being a family is, is really hard. You know, I, the, the, the network that our church is part of uh, plants a lot of churches. And, and one of the things that I've noticed about uh, churches that get planted is the ones that succeed, man, they, they often have a really good decade. A really good decade. And they can find themselves in pretty cocky places because it's like, look at us killing it. And then you live long enough and you start to fail people. And, and your programs start to, to, to lose a little bit of their shine. And things start to lose a little bit of their alignment. And there's enough relationships and conversations and junk and dirt of the world that causes things to get sideways and messy. And then those church plants, by God's grace, get a little bit of humility. And they start to realize, like, oh, we were, we were just kind of young and dumb. We were just kind of, you know, a, a little naive. You know, our church has been around 100 years. And one of the things that we get to look in the rearview mirror and say is, boy, there, there's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of carnage. Tr trying to do life together, it, like, it's costly. I've, I've been here 16 years almost. And just in my 16 years, there's carnage. There, there, there's relationships that I wish would have gone differently. 
There, there's people that don't, don't attend here anymore. It, it, try, trying to be a family is complicated. And you don't know. You don't know if you're a family until you face the storms. You, you don't know you're a family until, until you're actually going through hard things. And you know what we've gone through over the last two years, and even more specifically over the last five or six months, man, I understand why you might have some questions about how well we do family. That would be completely legitimate. But, but here's, here's my encouragement to you. I, being a family doesn't mean that you, everything goes smoothly. And it certainly doesn't mean that you do everything right. I think that what you could say is being a family means you don't quit. And I, we're, we're trying not to quit. And so, like, the, the invitation here for this, this life of community, this primary identity of family, you know, we're going to offer our community groups, and if you've been in one, you know. Like, they're incredible. They're, they're powerful, and yet they're pitiful. People in your community group fail you all the time, and they love you all the time. It, it, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's like, it's like, wait for it, it's like real life. It's not, it's not easy, but it's real. And we're not trying to manufacture things. We're like, we're trying to do life. And we're not always good at it. None of us are. I was at a meeting yesterday. And someone at the meeting uh, just brought up the fact that they, were, they had been reading in Matthew 18 about this effort to reconcile. And what struck them in their reading of Matthew 18 was that you go to that person and it says, if they hear you. And it was like, oh, it's not about whether or not we end up agreeing on all the details. It's, do the people in my life love me enough to hear me? And I, I was so helped by that comment. Like, that, like that, that's saying, we're not, I'm not quitting on you. I'll, I'll listen. I'll hear you. I, we might not agree, but like, I'm in it for the relationship here. Third, action. That, this is the primary identities of missionary and servant. So mercy, missions, serving, you know, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 15, he says that Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul says, you know what happens if you've, if you've absorbed this gospel? You know what happens if you've believed on this Christ? Well, you stop living your life for yourself. Your, your action is actually outward-facing. You have this rich, deep confidence that Christ is caring for you. That Christ has met your needs in the most fundamental way. And if that's true, then you don't need to spend your life making sure your needs get met. Mercy. That's outward facing, caring for the, 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 those who are in, in, in need. Missions. That's the objective of getting the good news of the gospel, the message of Jesus to people who have not heard it. And serving. Just the posture of volunteering. Volunteering in this building and volunteering out in the community. Figuring out ways to give away your time. You know, we often invite, invite Christians to recognize that, that you can give away your money. Well, you should, you should give away your time too. You know, like that, that's part of recognizing Christ's lordship in your life. The fact that you're an ambassador who speaks and lives on the behalf of another is you give your time away too. These are, these are good practices for us to model. We often use the phrase, we want to be a church not for ourselves. We want to be outward facing. And this, this sense of action, being missionaries and servants uh, in this location, in this 231 area code, like here, present, in Traverse City, and then having an eye towards God's work around the world. Now, some of you are going to think, yeah, Matt, you listed three things, but one of those 
One of those is really important. Those other ones, I don't know. Look, I understand why you might say that, but would you be willing to consider this? Maybe you're saying that because that's how God's designed you to function. So instead of being an elitist and thinking that your bucket or your pathway is the better one, why don't you invest yourself in that bucket? Why don't you invest yourself on that pathway and help it come to life? Like, I totally understand if you look and say one of these is more important. Great. It's probably just evidence that God made you that way. And we desperately need people who are made that way. Some others in this room might say, this sounds like too little. This is an awfully, you know, thin strategy. Well, first of all, it's not completed. I'm inviting you in early. But secondly, secondly, we are really committed as a church, and we have been for over a decade, to not packing out your calendar. In part because we actually want you to be able to give your time away to other causes. We, we, I mean, I love Sojourn Church, and I know a lot of you do too, and we think that what God's doing here is special and important. And I, I'm thankful that you think that. But we're not the only thing going. We're not the only thing going in your life. We're not the only thing going in Traverse City. We're not the only thing going in God's plan. We recognize that some of you have, have things that you love and, and that you pledge a lot of time and energy to. And, and we would love for you to be able to be actively involved in your spiritual family here and be involved in these other commitments that God's opened the door for you to be involved with. And there's a few of you who might say, this sounds like too much. Well, if that's where you're at, let me just encourage you here. Formation takes a lot of time and intentionality. Formation, spiritual formation does not happen overnight. You know, Lou uses the phrase, it's crockpot, not microwave. It, it, it takes time. More than you think it does, more than I think it does. And so there's a couple phrases that have been bouncing around over the last few months, and, and here they are. A little bit of scripture to a little bit of life. So if you think about that phrase, what we're saying is sometimes we overestimate what we can get done in a day and we underestimate what we, keep, what we can get done in a year. A little bit of scripture to a little bit of life. You don't have to read 40 chapters of the Bible in a theological book every morning. But man, if you would take a good bite, a little bit of scripture, you'd be shocked at how it'll stack up over the course of time. A little bit of scripture to a little bit of life and then the other phrase is, in it for the long haul. We want to be in it for the long haul. If we grab onto both of these ideas, man, we, we are going to start building the kind of character and wisdom that can stand up to the distortions of our current cultural moment and to the temptation to create a bunch of arbitrary like behavioral taboos. Like just make a whole bunch of rules. And if I follow those rules, then I'm good with God. Man, it's so much better than that. It is so much better than that. All along the way, we, we want, you know, along with the gospel, we want to be saturated with joy. So, so think about these words, gospel, joy, love, and curiosity. That, those are the things I'm praying for for our church right now, that we will be saturated with the gospel, with joy, with love, and with curiosity. We want to follow Jesus together for the good of the world. Last comments. This will just take a minute. 2 Corinthians 5.14, what, what is the motivation? You know, what's the motivation for all this? Man, I, I think it's been hinted at throughout, but it's so important. Christ's love. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ controls us. Christ's love 
It controls us. Other versions say it compels us. Eugene Peterson translated it this way in the message. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. You see, if that's true, then look at how much, verse 15, it makes sense that you would no longer live for yourself but for Christ. If his love controls you, if you look at him and you realize what he's done for you and you have this rock-solid humility and confidence, this recognition that you've been justified and sanctified, that the Spirit indwells you, you've been given spiritual authority, if those kinds of things are rooted in your heart, then yes, it makes all kinds of sense. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to result in these outworkings that we long to see uh, as, as, as a church family. No longer living for ourselves, but living for Christ. And you're invited. You know, verse 20 says, so like, be reconciled to God. This gospel, it's available to you. God's holiness and the sinfulness that has so wrecked us and wrecked the world. There's, a, there's an answer to the, to the separation there. And the answer is, is Christ, that this holy God and, and, and sinful people, we can actually be brought together. We can be reconciled because of what Christ has done on our behalf, because he came and he died in order to bring the world to God, in order to bring you to God. So be reconciled to God. Experience the love of Christ and let it change everything. Let it have the first word and the last word in everything you do. If you have, if you have been reconciled to God, man, we come to this table and we eat the bread and we drink the cup and we remember that what Jesus did for us changes everything. And so if you've been reconciled to God through Christ, come and take the elements. If you haven't, then instead receive Christ. That there are prayers in your bulletin that give some language that you, uh, to help you maybe process some of the things you're thinking about. If our servers would please come, let's pray. God, we thank you for this bread and we thank you for this cup. We recognize that this bread represents the body of Christ broken for us. We recognize, God, that this cup is a picture of Jesus' blood being spilled for us. And that this work of Jesus on our behalf, his reconciling work on the cross and through the cross, through his life, death, and resurrection, God, it really does change everything. And when we see it, when the light breaks through and we recognize how good this news is, that we've been accepted, that we've been freed, that we're not alone, that we have this authority to actually have, have agency in our spiritual journey, God, God, th those truths, they, they begin to change us. God, we want to see renewal here. We want to see it on display. We want to see hands and feet active for you. God, would you give us courage as we move to this next chapter? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.